Hey, it's me, Nicole. Before we get on with the show, I wanted to ask you for a huge favor. If you're a fan of Winhurst United, I could really use your support to continue to grow this platform. So if you don't mind and you have time, I would truly appreciate you helping me out. There are four ways that you can help. I would love if you would help in all four ways, but at least help in one if you can't help in all four. So the ways are by subscribing, by rating, by writing a review, and by sharing the podcast out. I truly appreciate you, and I want to thank you in advance for your continued support. Learn about the strides female entrepreneurs of color are making. Be inspired by their story and enlightened by their leadership, insight, and advice. Welcome to Win Hers United, your one-stop shop for business, mindset, personal development, and self-care conversations. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, and I am excited that you're listening today. I hope you find this information useful, and if you do, it would make my day to hear from you. Go over to winhersunited.com and leave me a message in the contact form. I would love for you to share your takeaways and your thoughts with me. Now let's get on with what you came here for. This is season six, episode 13, entitled Winning in Spite of Oppression with Latoya Fernandez. Hey, LaToya, welcome. We appreciate you joining us today. We're excited to learn about you and hear about your experience and your insight. Yes, wonderful. I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right, so let's start out by you telling us about your background and what you currently do professionally. Okay, so I live in San Jose, California now, but I'm originally from Hartford, Connecticut. That's where I was born and raised. I grew up in the church. I went to college in Boston, and then I moved to San Jose in 2009, and I currently now work in education. I founded a youth empowerment movement called Youth Hype, where I run workshops that empower kids from disenfranchised communities. So I do that, and then I also work with schools to rewire their discipline systems to be more restorative and responsive to kids of color. That's amazing. That's amazing. So how did you end up doing what you currently do as far as the youth and changing things around in the school system as they need to be. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's, they really need to be changed. And it's interesting too, because I got my start with youth empowerment as a child growing up in my house. My mother was really passionate about the youth and the youth at church. She was always taking different young people under her wings, teaching them how to read, tutoring them. And I was kind of her little partner. I watched her. I was really inspired by her. And so I started taking on youth leadership roles as young as 12 years old, working for my city in leadership groups. So I knew that I wanted to do youth empowerment. I knew I was passionate about it. I'm also a hip hop artist. So I was really passionate about that as well. So I actually came to California to pursue my passion and my career in hip hop and ended up finding that I could collaborate the two. So that's how I ended up getting an education, moved to California to get into the, the, the hip hop industry, the game, 
And I was working with kids at the same time using hip hop to teach them concepts. And I realized like this right here is bigger and better than selling out stadiums. So then that's kind of how I forged my path in this game. I love that. I love that. That's really amazing, right? And you're not the only person that I've heard say that where it's like, what's more important, making an impact or making a lot of money, right? Where, you know, you walk away from something that people would think was ideal into something where people looking at you like, did you lose your mind? But yet, (laughs) right, it's that, that passion and the, I guess the feeling of helping someone to me is priceless. Do you feel the same? Absolutely. It is priceless. And I also feel like it continues to pay forward. When we invest in supporting and uplifting those around us, especially the children who are going to be the stakeholders of our future, we're manifesting that life back into ourselves. So I feel like it's a give and take and you can't put a price on that. Yes. I love it. Okay. All right. So you may have answered this. You told us what you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, actually, interestingly enough, when I was young, I wanted to be the president. I was eight years old and I used to say, I was gonna be the first black president of the United States. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so I I always wanted to have that big impact. So I wanted to be the president um, and then I later evolved into wanting to be like a news broadcaster. I always wanted to be on a big platform telling people the truth and uplifting people out of, you know, difficult situations and systems of oppression. So it's funny that I said that when I was young and then when I got older, I was able to experience having the first black president of the United States voting for him and, and kind of being inspired by that in my work. But yeah, I swore I was going to be the president. And some people still to this day try to tell me like, you know, you could still pursue that. <laughs> so yes, I love that. I love that. Wow. Yeah, I thought I thought you mentioned something about youth leadership and I was just going to go right on past this question. And so I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yes. That's great, right? I like to ask this question because it tells a story to me to kind of see how whether what we wanted to be then has changed or how it has shaped, right? So right. even though you're currently not president and who's to say that that won't happen, right? But yet you are the president of your business, you know, and and even your life, right? And all you do, so you exude that personality, right? And that persona and then still in doing it in business. So president, you know, maybe not on the same context, but yeah, I'll take that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you talked a little bit about the upbringing you had, at a, had as a child. Do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, just a bit. So like I said, my mother had a huge impact and influence on my life. Actually, my mother was 24 years old when she bought the house that moved to move us out of the ghetto. 24 mm-hmm. years old. You know, she had gotten pregnant with my oldest brother in high school. She didn't have a college education. And based on statistics and the trajectory of a Black person in the 80s and 90s, my mother should not have been able to make that move, but she did. And at 24 years old, when she made that power move and moved our family out of the ghetto into a five-bedroom house in another city, that was a really big deal for me as a child. The newspaper came, did a huge story on our family because... There weren't big black 
financially stable families moving into East Hartford, Connecticut at that time. So it was really groundbreaking stuff. And I didn't realize how important that was until I got a little older. And I was like, mom was 24 and she made that move. And so my mother's journey and her ability to be so resilient and move us into that direction really showed me what was possible for myself. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And I can see that it trickled down, right? So that's awesome. Definitely. Okay. So tell us about a pivotal point in your life and how it shaped who you are today. Absolutely. So when I was in college, I was a media writing major and I had gotten this internship at Disney. It was called the Disney College Program. Mm. And when I got accepted into the program, they hadn't seen me yet. So everything was done over the phone. Everything was remote. And so I got in and I was doing an internship at ABC because I was going to go on a news broadcasting. So I, from Boston, I'm, I was going to college in Boston at the time. They flew me out to Southern California, moved into an apartment, was starting the process. And it was great. I really thought like, wow, I'm going to make it. And when I went to start the training process, we had to go get our work ID photos taken. And when I went to get my photo taken, they told me that I couldn't get my photo taken because my hair was too ethnic. And so at the time, it's like my dreadlocks were little baby dreads. They were a little Afro. And it was really humiliating because I hadn't really grown up experiencing racism on that blatant level. Yeah, they said my hair was too ethnic. I couldn't take the ID photo. And so I stepped aside. I spoke with the woman there and I said, hey, what do you mean my hair is too ethnic? What does that mean? I'm out here from Boston. I'm ready to do this internship. You guys knew who I was before I got here. And now you're telling me that my hair is too ethnic. Like, what are we going to do about this? And I was told that there was a hair salon down the street and I could potentially purchase a wig or I could cut my hair off. So... They wrote the information of the salon down the street on a sticky note and gave it to me and told me to basically figure it out. At that point, I realized that I probably wasn't going to be able to do this internship. So I went home, got on the phone with some people, tried to figure some things out. I reached out to the head of the entire Disney College program to figure out what was up. They were like, could you cut your hair? So I cut my hair. I cut like my baby dress off to the point where I just had a, a tiny little afro They sent people to my apartment to take pictures of my hair. And then they still said that it wasn't good enough. So I ended up flying back to Boston. At that time, I was 20 years old. And that was a pivotal moment in my life. Because at that moment, I realized my good grades, the effort that I put in, all the leadership titles that I held, all the hard work that I put in to basically prove to the system that I was worthy of an opportunity, none of that mattered. I was still just another Black person, you know, in this oppressive kind of racist society. And at that moment, I decided I was no longer doing all of that stuff to get my foot in the door and to have a seat at the table, because it didn't matter anyway. And I rerouted my intentions behind everything that I was doing and everything became about the greater good. And I really had to stand in the faith and confidence that God just had my back on that. And so that was a pivotal point in my life because I was 20 years old trying to figure out who I was. And I realized in that moment, everything you're doing has to be about a bigger purpose. It can no longer be about getting a seat at the table. Mm. So I, I learned that very early on and 
it shaped, it, it really reshaped everything I was doing. I was supposed to be a news broadcaster and looking wow. around that now, you know, so it, it, it changed things. I'm just like disgusted. It's Blown crazy. Away. Like, I don't even know what to say. Right. But on the flip side though, I love how you decided, okay, no more for yourself at that time, whereby I know with me in corporate America, like it's taken me up until now at 38 years old with all of the up downs and the crosses that I experienced to finally realize that, hey, probably not going to get as far ahead here as I thought I was, right? And to be okay with it. And so at 20 to say, okay, one and done, you know, check or X, <laughs> right? And on to the next, right? So I recall one time, I got fired from a job. It's so funny you said with the baby dress, right? I got fired when I had my baby dress and I've never gotten fired before. And they didn't give me any reason as to why they fired me, right? So my the only thing I could come up with was because of my hair. Because when I first was starting, I left perm at the end because I didn't want to cut them all the way off. So then it was like, it looked a little wormy. Like it was, it was, it, it was kind of a mess, right? That's how mine were too. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it didn't stop my work and my ethics, right? So, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I'm just surprised that they were so blatant. And then to see that this is stuff that's still being talked about and still being voted on today. Because I know for me, what was that? That was at least 15 plus years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's crazy because now they have this whole California you can't discriminate based on hair anymore. And I'm like, wow, you know, if this policy had existed back then, things would have been different, but they were literally allowed to do that. This is one of the biggest corporations in the world. Wow. <laughs> like, well, I'm kind of, look, I'm, I'm going to speak selfishly. I'm kind of glad it happened because you would be here talking with me yes. right? <laughs> and you're needed where you are, right? So, and that gave you the gusto to realize the one to fight against the oppression that goes on, right? So even right. in those tough situations and unfortunate situations, right? It's, it's always a blessing to be found. So, mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So tell us about what you're currently doing to improve yourself personally and or professionally. Okay, absolutely. So I wake up every morning between five and 6 a.m. And the first thing that I do is I read the Bible, I read the Bible and I pray. And this is something that's important to me because not just because I grew up in the church, but because of the foundation and the routine of reading and studying in the morning and getting my brain right. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like I said, I grew up in the church and I got to experience going to church every Sunday and being involved in the church, but I actually didn't really understand the power of a personal relationship with God mm -hmm. until I became an adult. And so when I wake up every morning early, it's really important for me to do that intimate check-in with him, reading the word and praying and making sure that my steps are ordered for the day. So that's on that personal and spiritual development side. And the other thing in terms of my professional development, I do these different fasts. And like right now I'm doing a fast called fast from wrong thinking. 
and I apply these concepts to my job. So when I think about times where I might be uh, being judgmental or critical, or I might not be a team player, or I might be trying to exercise something from a place of bias or self-righteousness, I can use the things I'm learning in this fast to remind myself of that bigger purpose, understanding that I can't allow myself to succumb to the feelings of depression, feeling like I'm a victim, being angry, frustrated, those types of things. So I, I put a lot of focus on like what's happening with my mind and bringing awareness and presence to that so that I can conquer it. I love that. And I love how, you know, when you hear, what are you doing professionally? You would think, oh, I'm taking this class. Oh, I'm reading this book or whatever. But I love to hear like, no, I'm doing a fast. You know, those mental exercises and even personal, right? Because that helps your body as well as your mind. And I love how you related that to what I see or others could see as personal to business as well. So I think that's awesome. Thank you. Okay. So tell us about the last book that you listened to or read. Okay. Well, I am one of those people that starts like five books around the same time. So <laughs> like, I'll be reading a bunch of different things. I can say the book that's resonated with me the most right now is a book called Narrative Therapy. Hmm. And it's actually about the stories that we tell ourselves separate from reality which I think is a really important concept because we do go through a lot of different things and there's the reality of what we face and then there's our story about the reality. And oftentimes the manifestation of our life and what we're doing is usually based on our response to that reality. So mm -hmm. it's like, I grew, you know, I can say, all right, I was, you know, born and raised in Hartford. My mom moved us out of the hood and I could tell the story of, oh, my life was horrible and I had to go through this and go through that, but I survived. Or I could tell the story of resiliency. My mom was young, she was motivated, she moved us out of that, put us in a better position, and I am where I am now because of it. So I like that book because it allows you to really think about like, here's reality and what's my story about it and I can control that narrative. Mm. I like that. I like that. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it is a way to talk about anything, right? The, even the worst situations can mm -hmm. talk about with, the, with sunshine, you know, as opposed to rain. So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So do you use personal affirmations? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> can you share one, of, one or two of your favorites? Mm-hmm. So I actually have one that I wrote down and it's written. And so I have this app that I use called you version and it's a Bible app and it, it gives me scriptures every day. And in it, you can also write things to yourself that you can read on a daily basis. Okay. And so I have one here and so I'll read it to you. So, and so it's like an affirmation slash prayer, but I say it every day. So Lord guide me. Anoint my steps, words, actions, and thoughts so they're in alignment with your will for my life. I am powerful because you made me powerful. But decrease my human instincts and increase your light so that your influence is encouraging and correcting. I'm encouraging because you allow me to be encouraging. 
cover me and armor me so that I may be ready for battle, but give me wisdom to be steadfast and humble when you fight my battles. I am a warrior because you've given me strength. Give me more strength to turn the other cheek in the face of conflict. I am bigger than this. I am better than this. Give me empathy to overshadow my critical judgments. Give me power to keep my head held high when I want to crumble. I am better than this. I am stronger than this. Lord, comfort me in my moments of insecurity and wipe my tears. I live to serve you. I'm a leader. I'm a queen. I love that. Every morning. <laughs> I love it. Look, I'm going to have to write that down when I listen to this again. <laughs> yes. I heard two things that were repeated more than once, right? I'm bigger than that. I'm, did you say better than that? Yeah, I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I love yeah. that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we got to remind ourselves because I realized too, just growing up as a woman and feeling like I had to really stand my ground a lot of times, my understanding of power was really different than what power actually is. And I realized that every time that I was judgmental of someone or was a belittling of someone or just was exercising my power by trying to dominate that really was coming from a place of insecurity and feeling small so mm -hmm. i have to remind myself like you're bigger and better than those insecurities like you are right. <laughs> no you ain't gotta be like that <laughs> that's deep that's deep right yeah yeah i i've been doing some work myself to me, that's like the inner child work. And like you said, the different things we experience. So if we're used to people coming for us, then we're always on defense mode, right? And I don't know if that's a woman of color thing, a black woman thing, but I know Definitely. I really you know, I can go from zero to a hundred before, before you blink, not in a blink, before Real you blink, right? So yeah, that is a reminder. And that's not strength. That that's That's weakness. That's that's a false sense of strength. It's, you know, you want to look strong because you're really weak as opposed to not letting outside influences sway you and take you out of a character or make you look bad. Exactly. And black women are so powerful and so intelligent and we're natural born leaders. We really do ourselves a disservice when we allow our emotions to overshadow our intelligence. Mm. We really do. And I'm not saying we can't be human. Because sometimes we do flat out get disrespected and we need to lay the law down. But when we're operating from a place of self-control and we have our intelligence and our candor in check, man, we unstoppable. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. So tell us about the toughest struggle you had to overcome and how you overcame. Oh, toughest struggle. Well, I think I would have to say the biggest struggle that I've had is the struggle with my identity. I grew up light-skinned, as you can see, and that came with a lot because colorism is real in our Black community. And so from the time I was super, super young, darker-skinned girls always have problems with me. And they would say things to me like, you think you're better than us. You think, like, all these things that I didn't think at all. Um, and then 
I had a lot of white friends that I associated with. And when there were times where there were white kids that I went to school with and they would tell me, you don't belong here. Like I remember this girl in high school who would come on chat and tell me, stop hanging around white people. We don't want you around us. So I had this struggle of like, feel like I'm not black enough for my community and this white community doesn't want me either. And so I really dipped and dabbled in multiple different identities. One day I was a church girl. The next day I was rock and roll with my hair spiked. The next day I was doing something, trying to be a gangster. Like I was grappling with a lot of different identities and it really lasted into my adult life. Mm. It really took me having a daughter. I have a nine-year-old daughter. It took me having a daughter to really get that grounding of like, now none of that matters. Who I am is going to have a huge influence on this little person. So I need to create the identity and persona that I want and need to be for her. And that trumped all that. But before then, I was having major identity issues. And I think a lot of Black people do because we're being brought up in a society where our culture is not present, where we have no connection, no ties to history that we're being taught. So Black people are constantly searching for identity in many different communities, you know? And so I think it's a common struggle with our people. Mm, wow. I literally just did a live on Sunday about colorism. I did a podcast about it early Sunday morning. Right. And I can relate to everything you said as far as getting labeled as thinking you're better than when I never thought that. Right. But because of colorism and just the ingrained negativity from slavery. Right. That's why mm -hmm. we came from. These are things that we've had to deal with, which people think, oh, light skin, you got the best. You got it good. Like, like you said, like, where do I belong? Where do I belong? Right. And I even, you said white, black, but I even said Spanish where it's like, okay, maybe I look Spanish, but I don't speak Spanish. Right. So then that's still a roadblock right there. Right. So yeah. I'm amazed that you brought that up. And that's part of the premise of starting this podcast is to make right those wrongs and to show people like, I love everybody hearts, you know? Yeah. unless you show me otherwise and then you know, <laughs> I love you but it'll be from a distance you know and I might look mm -hmm. at you with a little side eye every now and again because I'm human <laughs> but at the core I'm a very loving person and it's unfortunate that we don't give people the opportunity to be who they are because we judge them based off of whatever stereotypes unconscious bias mm -hmm. things that shouldn't exist because it just makes life harder for people and it causes less connections when we need to be connected. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So do you have a leadership principle that governs your life? And if so, share it with us. Absolutely. As soon as you said that leadership principle, I'm like integrity. Integrity is at the core of everything that I do, everything that I stand for. And I have found even in situations where it seems like sacrificing my integrity is the only way out, mm. I found that it's the one thing that's kept me through. Mm. Working in education, just to be completely frank with you, 
it's a corrupt system. It's a system that's tied to the, the, the prison pipeline. It's a system that's tied to racism, that's tied to sexism. It's tied to all of the systems of oppression. And in the schools and in the education uh, system, all of that is condensed. And so I've faced a lot of situations where there's been lying, corruption, stealing, the mistreatment of other human beings, the dehumanizing of children, a lot of different times. And I've been asked to sacrifice my integrity or to turn a blind eye. And mm -hmm. I refuse to do it. And in fact, I take the opposite stance and I expose those things that are happening. And I've had times where people have pulled me in and been like, look, I know that this is wrong. I know that you're saying this, but if you could just not bring it up, we're working on it. If you could just not, if you could just look the other way, if you could just to the point where my job's been on the line more than once when I've been asked to sacrifice my integrity. And there have been times where I've lost opportunities because I refuse to, but I'm going to stand in that because I believe the truth not only sets you free, but really sets everyone free. When you're speaking and you're putting that into the universe and you're lying and you're not being truthful with folks, I don't sacrifice my integrity. I keep it 100% all the time. Always tell the truth. Some people say it's a blessing and a curse. I don't see the curse. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. And more people need to, right? Or, or we would hope more people do. That's sad though. You saddened me in hearing some of this stuff about school systems. I definitely heard about the school to prison pipeline, which mm -hmm. was sad. But then even some of those other layers that exist. Yeah, it's crooked. the The school, it, the school industry is is turned into a business for sure. Mm. Um, and the standard, the the weight that these standardized tests are holding on students is crazy. I mean. There's huge suicide rates for kids between the age of 14 and young adults up to 24. And kids are expressing being depressed because they're feeling the pressures of having to meet the expectations from these standardized tests. And it's just like, it's not right. And all this is tied to money, you know? Um, and so it's just like, I know I'm not standing for that and um, I'll expose whatever I can because a lot of these schools, especially in the charter school and private school systems, they have these big funders. And if some of these funders' money is connected to dirty stuff, well, they're, you know, they're going to expect you to help perpetuate that system when they donate money to your, your institution. Hmm. Interesting. Way more political than it needs to be. Ooh, I know, right? Jeez. It's crazy. I smoke, I've spoken with educators from other countries. And they say, why is education in America so political? I don't know. Wow. Yeah, we can ask a lot of whys about America. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, we won't go there. No. Not this platform. But anyway. <laughs> All right. So tell us about an aha moment that you had lately and how you changed as a result. Mm-hmm. An aha moment that I had was recently understanding about what it means to be offended and what's behind that. I'm actually easily offended, and I'll just say that. I'm easily offended. My mind automatically goes to, I'm super empathetic. I would never treat anyone like that. I would never do that to someone. I'm more mindful. I wouldn't think or say those things. Why are you doing this to me? Why aren't you, you know? So I automatically go down that road, and 
I've categorized people in that. I've, you know, there have been times where I've categorized white people in that. There have been times where I've categorized men in that and, and just been like, you're offending me. Something that I've recently, that's been an aha moment for me is understanding what's behind being offended. Mm. And that's been part of this fast I was doing with uh, fasting from wrong thinking, where I've been able to really reflect on the fact that being offended has more to do with me feeling uncomfortable towards something that someone is saying or doing. And, and my response is getting offended rather than approaching it with humility and hearing what that person's interests are and thinking about what I can do to support. And now that I'm viewing it that way with being humble and listening to people and understanding, it allows me to act accordingly. So instead of being offended by what you said, now I'm listening for what is it that you need? Let me see if I can handle that. And then now we don't have to have this weird back and forth and it's this personal thing. Mm. So that's been huge. And it's honestly been a weight lifted just off of my spirit. Like, I feel like I take things so much better now. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, it is freedom when we learn to look past. Because it, it may be this person may remind you of somebody or it might be something that you are hiding in the back of your head one of your doubts or fears or whatever so it's a trigger a button that's been pushed that this person doesn't know the button only you do right so kind of understanding all of that and then like you said listening right or even asking questions what do you mean by that that's a, as opposed to what? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yes yes i can relate I can relate. Yeah. And I noticed too, it goes back to my upbringing. Like I was saying earlier about my mother being a huge influence on my life because my mother paved the way in such a powerful way for me as a young woman, I always wanted to make her proud and make my family proud. So when people say or do things that make me feel offended, my mind instantly will go to, what am I not doing? What are you saying that I'm not doing? I'm not making my mother proud. I'm not making my family proud. And then you unpack all that and you realize that don't have nothing to do with what this person is talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep. It's deep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So do you have a recommended resource that you can share with us and tell us how you utilize it? Yeah, absolutely. So like I actually brought it up earlier, this the the app that I'm using. And I know not everybody believes in God, not everybody's religious, uh, and that's okay. But this app that I'm using called YouVersion, it has really good reading, and it's not just Bible scriptures. There's a lot of different things around mindset, around relationship building, and all that, and it really helps, and it gives you concrete strategies and steps. It's called YouVersion. So it's really good. I've been using it. It's been helping me a lot. Okay. And that's really the biggest resource I can offer, straight up. Because right now, we're living in a time where we've been granted an opportunity to really focus on our personal, spiritual, and professional development. And so all the resources that, that I have up until this point that are educational, that's great. But right now, the resources I want to offer and share with folks are like how you get your mind right yes. right now. So you yes. version is definitely uh, a benefit. Okay, thanks for that. All right, so do you have a favorite quote? 
A favorite quote? Definitely. Malcolm X, by any means necessary. Um, I actually have it tattooed right there on my shoulder. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. That quote, by any means necessary, I carry that with me because it speaks to resilience, it speaks to follow through, it speaks to purpose and mission. And I consider Malcolm X, even though he's not alive, I consider him to be one of my most influential mentors. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love that I'm starting to see a trend with the different women. And when I ask about a quote or I ask about an affirmation or something, a lot of people have tattoos. They're like, oh, it's right here. It's right here. You know? <laughs> I love that, right? Because it's always a reminder. You don't have to worry about like, oh, do I have it with me? Oh, do I remember it? I mean, I'm not, you know, to each his own as far as whether you like tattoos or not. I, mean, I do personally. But, you know, I love the just how that is coming together and it's been a trend that I've noticed and I'm amazed by it that's cool yeah women are so cool yes <laughs> yes and so deep we're so deep we are <laughs> <laughs> okay so do you have any advice to share for an up-and-coming entrepreneur yeah absolutely Right, like I said, right now we're living in times where it is a time for development. If you're an entrepreneur, this is your time to really shine. I work in education, and so I'm not a, a, a available to be inside of a physical classroom, but as an entrepreneur in education, I've been able to create platforms and resources online that I can still monetize. And so I'm saying that to say this, if I can do that as an educator, you can do that in any field. Right now is a time to take advantage of creating online platforms, online courses, and, and really taking that step. If you're working in a job that you don't like, if you've been sitting on an idea for a long time, this right now is the opportune moment to capitalize on that idea, to water that seed that you planted so that it can nourish and manifest into your dream. So that's the biggest advice that I would give an entrepreneur right now go for it because we don't know if something like this this type of time is ever going to come back up we have it you have to seize the moment like there's no excuses like my like my quote my mentor says by any means necessary and there's no time like the present mm, thank you for that thanks yeah you're welcome yeah that was for me also if you didn't know and whoever else <laughs> and i think we all have areas that we could pay attention to, right? So yeah. even for someone that's doing it all, it's, it's probably still something that they've been putting off that can be done. So yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So I like to ask these questions because I love travel. I believe that everyone should travel if they're able to. That travel is so enriching and it makes your life better. That's my views of travel. So these are my travel questions. So where was your last vacation? What's your favorite vacation spot? And where will your next vacation be? So if you already had some plans, like out, out, you know, if not, I understand. <laughs> uh, so for me, I'm one of those people where I don't normally have a solid vacation. My trips are always work and vacation embedded together. Because for me, if I'm going to rest and relax, I need to also be making some money. 
because that's the only way I can relax is if I know that I'm maximizing my time. So the last trip I took was right before this shelter place. Actually, I did a trip. I went to Denver. Then I did Dallas, Texas for five days. Then I went to Indiana for four days and then Chicago for three days. And then I went to Boston for five days. And then yeah, when I got back, a couple of days later, they were like shelter in place. So um, good for you. <laughs> yes, that was my last vacation. Um, it was awesome. I have some schools that I work with in those areas, so I was able to pop up, do some work, and then also relax. I went when I went to Indiana. I hung out with some really close friends and just got to like be in the sauna, be out in the woods, go hiking, really be spiritual. When I went to Boston, I was there doing a program at Harvard for women in educational leadership. So I was there learning, but then I was also going around the town, you know, experiencing the nightlife. So it was great. And then what's the other question? Your favorite spot? My favorite spot. My favorite, I would have to say Indiana. And it's so random, but Indiana is beautiful. I mean, you've got the water, you've got great weather. I like to go out there in the summer and be on a boat and like, it's just beautiful. Also, everything is really slow. Things move a lot slower there so you can catch your breath. So it's nice. Wow, I would have never in a hundred million years. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, interesting, okay. Super weird, but it's beautiful. That place is beautiful. Yeah, okay, all right. (laughs) And then do you have a vacation planned or are you waiting until we get settled, you know, or things get back to... Uh, You said, do I have a vacation plan? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Listen, when this whole thing clears up, (laughs) I got some things I need to do. One is I I definitely want to go to New Orleans. I love New Orleans. I've been wanting to go back for years. So that's definitely something I'm going to do. And then Africa. I was supposed to be going to Ghana this July to start working with schools out there, but it got you know postponed because of everything that's happening. So the minute I can get out of this country, I'm going right to Ghana and, and checking that out. Okay. That's like number one on the list. I heard it's really nice. <sighs> I'm, yeah. I'm trying to figure out all good things. Citizenship. Yeah, I want to go there. All right, thank you so much, Latoya. I really enjoyed it. So before we go, do you have any services or offers or want to tell the listeners where to find you, your website, what have you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been wonderful. I love connecting with Queens. So yeah, like I said, I work in education. I do empowerment workshops. I travel to different schools. I support schools. My organization is called youthhype.org. So you can just find that online. Reach out to me. I do hip hop performances, education consulting, program development in terms of building out anti-bullying programs, social emotional learning programs, culturally responsive teaching, professional development, all that. So very easy. You can go to LatoyaFernandez.com and have access to me and all my services, my podcast, my videos, anything that you need from me. Please don't feel like you're working at an institution and might not be able to afford my services. If students need it, just reach out to me, latoyafernandez.com, and we can work something out. Okay, thanks again, Latoya. We appreciate hearing from you today.
Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Until next time, be empowered and empower on.